Hello, and welcome back to Elder Sign, a weird fiction podcast by Clay Temple Media. I'm Glenn McDorman, and I am back with another episode in our bonus series where I talk with writers, podcasters, scholars, artists, filmmakers, musicians about their favorite stories. And joining me today to talk about the 1915 short story, The Spider, by Hans Heinz Evers, is filmmaker Lars Henriks. Lars has written, directed, or also acted in a number of films and television shows, and some of his recent work includes the films Leon Must Die and Performaniacs, uh, both of which are available to stream on Amazon Prime. Lars, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to do this. Hi. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you here. And you picked a really cool, really interesting story and really interesting writer. But before we get to that, I wanted to say that I really enjoyed Performaniacs, which you wrote and directed. This, to me, felt like it was kind of a mashup, actually, of some of the writers that we cover on this show. And in particular, it felt like it was one part Ray Bradbury and one part Robert Block. It's uh, about a, a theater troupe, but right? Everything is not as it seems. I, I wondered if this was, you know, loosely, I guess, inspired by some real experience that you've had working in the performing arts. Yes, it is. Um, my experiences and the experiences of my um, girlfriend and filmmaking partner, Nissan Arikan, um, we did this with a, uh, w- with a drama school together. Um, we write, uh, or back then we, we wrote films for their, um, graduation classes um so we had this this group of acting students and they wanted to make a horror film and then we figured out um who could play what kind of part and uh yeah nissan had worked in a um troupe that 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 put on these immersive theater shows which are actually a big thing in berlin uh, still and nissan and i had visited one one other of those shows and um a thing that they always seem to be trying to do is pushing the envelope um, and I tend to find that a tad annoying sometimes. <laughs> um, so uh, we we did satirize that. Uh, I always pitch Performaniacs as kind of the South Park episode that Dario Argento never made. Well, I highly recommend it. I really, really enjoyed watching that. So I hope people will will check that out. And if, you know, speaking of, of of the theater scene and also just filmmaking in general, you know, we're recording this while we're still in the COVID nineteen you know restriction era. I mean, you know, in year two of it at this point. But I, I imagine that uh, you're thinking about what type of work or what type of film you want to do when you're able to get back to work on that. Do you have any ideas? Uh, yeah, more than that, actually. We uh, shot a feature film in December um, during lockdown uh, and, and of course, um, in, in the safest way possible under lockdown restrictions uh, with like uh, basically no team. It was just the, the DOP, uh, me and Nissan, who live in, um, in the flat where we shot the film. And then we had three actors. Um, and so, so that way we were able to actually produce a whole feature and it's uh, <laughs> uh I, I i had been reading Ovid's metamorphoses and there is a pun that you can make which uh the title of the movie is um covid metamorphoses um <laughs> and and it's so, so so it's based on different tales from from Ovid's uh metamorphoses um transposing them into uh, modern times and into a world uh, yeah under covid like right now uh, it's 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 slightly fictionalized um 
and it's about three people like uh, uh, a, a young woman and a man who are living together um, and and then a third person who strands in their flat by accident because the trains don't go anymore very suddenly and then um, they spend a very weird Christmas uh, together and it starts out like a, like a rom-com and then turns out to be actually more of a weird fiction type uh, horror film. Well, this sounds like it is made basically exactly for me. Ovid's Metamorphoses is one of my favorite books of all time. It's what I actually used to learn how to read Latin poetry in, uh, in in undergrad when I was in university, and I just absolutely adore it. But also, there's a long tradition of using that essentially short story collection, right? That's essentially a collection of you know fantasy short stories, basically, you know, from the uh, the early Roman Empire. But there's a big tradition of actually adapting those stories for you know performing arts. I mean, this is like half of Shakespeare's career, turns them all into rom-coms, you know, as well. But then also, like, this is a big part of uh, Boccaccio's book, The Decameron, which is kind of the same exact thing, except set during the Black Death. But he also adapted some of uh, Ovid's stories there. So that's very, very cool. Can I ask maybe, like, what are sort of one or two of the, the stories from the Metamorphoses that you you, you borrowed? The story of Medea um, is is one of the one of the major stories that uh, influenced uh, the film, um, and and that gets heavily referenced. Um, then there is uh, uh, th- th- then there's our um, our one hero who sort of turns from Orpheus into Narcissus um, at some point. Uh, so, so those three stories, I guess, are, are the ones that you will recognize the most. And, there, and then there's tons of details uh, referencing all kinds of other stories. We, we're pretty uh, jumping pretty wildly all through the metamorphoses. Um, I was originally planning to do the film very differently. I was originally planning to have it set in a um, in a large building um, and have all these different flats and in every flat I would have one of the stories play out, but that didn't work out because COVID um, and because of, because of new lockdown restrictions and we couldn't, we couldn't have so many people involved. Um, so, so I had to basically cram it all into, into one thing. And then we had these three major storylines and uh, added all these uh, little details. And I think that was, I think that was actually great. I think a reality um, made the movie, twisted the movie into something better than I had envisioned it to be. And is this something that you've been able to get available to people yet? By which I mean, where can I go watch this right away? Yeah, no, not yet. Uh, <laughs> okay. we, we, we are still finishing it up. I, I just uh, finished the soundtrack. Um, there are some visual effects still to be done. Um, our our visual effects guy is swamped with work right now. But it uh, I, I can say this. Oh, uh, this is... This is exciting. It will be released. Uh, it will it will get a wide release on DVD and on and Blu-ray in uh, in the US uh, via SRS Cinema, um, which is a distributor for indie and world uh, and horror cinema. Uh, they they distributed another film of ours, uh, and and now we are doing uh, quite a bit more with them, and uh, that that will come up probably uh, later this year. So watch out for it. Yeah, awesome, and and we will let people know when that uh, when that actually is out. So I hope you will let me know. I am I have self interest in that I want to watch it, but also we would love to let people know. But let's uh, let's move into talking about the story that you've picked out here today, which is the the Spider by Hans Heinz 
Evers. Uh, but actually, I think before we even talk about the story, we should really talk about the the writer. Lovecraft mentions Evers uh, very briefly in his essay, Supernatural Horror in Literature. But I have to confess, I've actually never read his work before. He is contemporary to Algernon Blackwood and, and also Arthur Mackin. He's extremely significant, I take it, for German language horror literature. And you mentioned to me as well, Lars, also that he's very important in the development of cinema, which is certainly what you do. So I'm interested in how you became familiar with his work and got engaged with, with his work. Completely randomly. Um, I, uh, I picked up the book, actually, the, the, the short story collection, The Spider, um, where this story is obviously in, um, from... We, we have lots of these giveaway bookshelves, I think, in, in the US. They are called Little Libraries, and it's a sort of a hobby of mine to look for obscure books in there. And I found <laughs> this book, and it's, yeah, it's by Hans-Heinz uh, Evers, and I looked him up. And that way, I found out who he was, and I read all the stuff that he was involved in, and I, uh, it, it blew my mind. I had never heard of him. He's a German author. He has had a major impact on the development of... Um, German early German cinema, um, the, the the expressionist movement, uh, obviously, and uh, then he was completely forgotten. Nobody knows who he is, and then and then I found out that uh, Lovecraft had not only mentioned him, mentioned him, but um, ripped him off in a way <laughs> uh, in his last story, and that that completely fascinated me. And then I found out that that story that Lovecraft ri ripped off was the Spider. Um, and that was just too much for me uh, to just take in without wanting to do something with that. And uh, that's why I uh, reached out and asked if maybe you would be interested in talking about it, because that would motivate me to go and research the guy a bit more. So uh, Hans Heinz Evers, completely forgotten. Like many of the of the people who were involved in the uh, early German silent cinema, um, and and uh, since since I had found this book, um, and I'm, I'm I was very interested in that topic anyway. Uh, the, the 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 expressionist era silent films; those are very fascinating to me personally. That's a whole uh, filmmaking legacy that has been completely abandoned by Germany, and there have been many fascinating figures uh, working in that area, and most of them have left the country. Uh, once the Nazis took over. Hans-Heinz Evers hasn't because he was a terrible person. Um, that just uh, up front. Um, Hans-Heinz Evers, he was born in, uh, in Dusseldorf, Germany in uh, 1871. Um, and he originally had studied to become a, a lawyer, uh, but then he uh, abandoned that to become a freelance writer. And uh, he, he published a book called Fable Book, together with another writer, Theodor Etzel, and, and that was apparently very successful. And then he published more very successful horror short story collections. And in 1911, he published the book Al Raune, um, which was a huge international success. It was, was translated into, I think, 28 different languages and um, sold millions of copies. And it was made into films over and over again. The, the next very interesting thing that Hans-Heinz Evers did, and he was one of the first people to do this, was he, uh, as a writer, as a professional writer, started working in film. And that was in 1907. So film was very new. And uh, in Germany, film was, and to an extent still is, uh, hated. 
film is not and was not um, regarded as an art form and uh, was was deemed just pure trash. And um, writers uh, were attacked for working in film. Hans-Heinz Evers was uh, defending the possibilities of film in in, uh, in in huge publications. He had he had debates with other German writers who uh, said he was, um, I don't know, smearing the craft. Um, so that's all, I think, pretty fascinating. Um, he became very important um, and very much of a celebrity. He um, he loved being a celebrity. Apparently, he, he is described as a dandy. He was uh, living in Berlin. Was was a proper Berlin celebrity. Um, he even tried out acting at the Max Reinhardt Company, which was huge, legendary, and very influential, again, for the for the expressionist movement. Um, he had himself elected uh, as the most uh, good-looking man in Berlin. He entered a, <laughs> a beauty contest. And, yeah, then he uh, worked at a studio in Neubrandenburg, very close to Berlin, and they made uh, short films and then uh, feature films. His most important film was The Student of Prague. Uh, th th that's, a, that's a tale very influenced by um, stories by E.T.A. Hoffmann. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the Student of Prague is a foundational film for the whole horror genre. Um, the whole thing about doppelgangers uh, appears in there for possibly the first time. Not quite expression, uh, expressionist uh, yet, because um, for expressionism to emerge, the First World War still had to happen, but um, it, it, it laid the foundations. And then he made more horror films like that. Um, his film, The Ice Bride, got banned because apparently it was about necrophilia. <laughs> um, then, then many other films came, but none of them survived, I take it. Um, that's, 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 that's a bit sad. And then um, during World War I, Evers was living in the US and uh, making German propaganda. And that was the time when he uh, apparently became a nationalist. Like up until then, he was very aloof and this, this um, uh, international cosmopolitical guy. Um, but then he went to the US during World War I and became a German nationalist. He came back to the Weimar Republic after the war and uh, wasn't that interesting anymore. He didn't really do anything... Uh, worth talking about. His books were turned into films, uh, notably Al Raune and The Student of Prague uh, were turned into films by Henrik Galin, who is the um, screenwriter who wrote Nosferatu. So um, the expressionists again. Um, then this is interesting. Um, Michael Curtis, who made Casablanca, um, made an unauthorized version of Al Raune when he was still directing in Hungary. Um, Evers sued against that, but lost because copyright apparently didn't really exist back then. <laughs> um, and Evers decided to um, go into making Nazi propaganda. Uh, seemingly, Hitler personally uh, asked him to write a book about uh, a guy that the Nazis wanted to build up as this hero. And he uh, wrote a novel about him. And then in the Third Reich, uh, even directed a movie based on that novel. And that movie was banned by the Nazis because they deemed it too bad. And uh, because Evers was known for like outrageous stuff, the Nazis didn't even like him. He He joined them and they just wanted him to go away They banned his books. They forbade him to write. And he died in obscurity in 1943 in Berlin. Um, yeah. And uh, the spiders actually in his biography isn't that uh, significant. The, the, it it, it um, gets significance by being an inspiration for Lovecraft. 
So his work then for the the Nazis in, I guess, even starting in the 1920s, but certainly in the 1930s, is this the reason that he's become largely forgotten despite having this really uh, significant uh, position within fin de siècle horror writing? I think it's not. Um, it, it, it would be tempting to, to, to think so, but I think it's not. I think the reason is that the Nazis banned him. It's, it's more a continuation of their cultural prejudices than anything else. Um, other writers who have worked for the Nazis, other filmmakers who have worked for the Nazis, uh, other actors especially who have worked for the Nazis, Nazi film stars have been and are still revered to this day. Uh, there is like the, 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 the most respected German novelist or one of the most respected at least, uh, Günther Grass, he was an SS uh, officer. So um, Germany after the war never had a problem with artists uh, endorsing the Nazis, working for the Nazis, um, all, all that kind of stuff. I don't think that, I don't think that's it. I think uh, the fact that he wrote horror, I think the fact that he was apparently behaving outrageously. And I think the fact that the Nazis uh, suppressed his work, I think that's what um, what made people not remember him these days. Plus, he was mainly uh, important for the silent era expressionist cinema. Um, and that is not a thing that um, that really gets talked about a lot in, in, in Germany. Like in the last 10 years, there has been a kind of revival of the 20s uh, Berlin party aesthetics, but that didn't really have anything to do with the, with the, the whole film uh, scene. So there's not really any interest in, 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 in Germany in, um, in the pre-war German culture. So I, I think that's, that's why he got forgotten. Well, his his golden age or his his heyday, his height of his writing is really this uh, this end of the the nineteenth and early part of the twentieth century, right before the First World War. But I think in the German cultural memory, right, it's the, the Weimar Republic. The nineteen twenties are this really uh, exciting, amazing time, and that's not really seems to be when he was doing his horror writing at the very yes. at the very least. Uh, but I did also notice when I was tracking down a, a copy of this story, one, it was hard to do that, at least in a, a physical form. But I did see that there's been some move to to do new translations of his work into English uh, in the last decade. Four or five of his books, though not a short story collection, at least not that I encountered, have been translated. And I think that's actually been something that's been happening uh, for German language literature of this period, that sort of transition between the 19th and 20th centuries. Uh, I've noticed that uh, Gustav Meyrink's uh, the, the Golem from, from Prague around this time received a new translation. And of course, Kafka wrote during this time in Prague as well, but famously was totally unknown in his own day. Uh, and it's really only, you know, been in sort of the, the late 20th century or mid and late 20th century that there was any kind of real interest in him. So there does seem to be some growing interest in Evers actually in the last decade, at least uh, in the Anglophone world. So yeah, maybe maybe we'll we'll see more uh, of his work, make it back into to print and some studies as well, because certainly he's a really fascinating person. I would be really interested to try to understand what happened to him during the First World War that that turned him from this kind of dandy figure into this political radical? Yeah, it's certainly a tragedy, I think. Um, and yeah, I, I, I also I think I think he's worth reading. After reading the Spider um, and some more of his stories, I think uh, I like his style. 
I do too. This story is very cool. And we should maybe turn our attention to it at, at this point. And just to say up front, the Lovecraft story that you are talking about is the, the Haunter in the Dark, which is one of my absolute favorites. But I will uh, leave off making any connections here. That's something we can talk about uh, when we get into the discussion. I'm going to start first, though, just by giving a little synopsis, hopefully a very short synopsis. We'll see if I'm capable of that. But this story is actually not a lot of plot. It's a lot more mood. So I should be able to be quick. And this is a story that does not actually take place in Germany. In fact, it takes place in Paris. That's some of the sort of cosmopolitan nature of Evers during this period, I think. And it is around 1900 or so. You know, a specific date is never given. It may matter a little bit. I'll bring that up later. But at any rate, it is, you know, fin de siècle. It's this, this end of the 19th, beginning of the 20th century period. There is a small hotel, it's really more of a, a guest house, I guess, where every Friday for three weeks in a row, the occupant of one of the rooms had hanged himself. Also, they all had a spider on or in their dead bodies. That's the name of the story, of course, right, is the spider. But the, the detail about the spider is not going to come back until the, the very end here. And our story is about uh, Ricard Brachmont, is a, a medical student. He volunteers to live in this room in order to figure out what is going on and, and also how to, to stop it. Uh, and in fact, he has to apply like to the police and then also compete against other applicants in order to be allowed to live in this room. And he actually lies to the police by saying that he already thinks he knows what is going on, but he doesn't. He has no idea what's actually going on. And uh, he's not going to make it out of this story alive, but he does make it longer than anyone else did, where uh, these other people lasted only a week. He makes it almost four weeks. And what's Going on is that there is a woman living in the apartment across the street. Their windows look at each other. And Brackmont and this woman, they slowly begin to flirt with each other by smiling at each other and also doing a lot of miming, which doesn't sound, you know, all that hot or sexy, I think. But, you know, uh, Evers does a good job of selling the sort of romantic and sexual tension of this, I will say. And it does get really serious. It gets really elaborate. They essentially begin having a kind of crazy dance off, I guess, where the woman makes a series of movements and Brackmont repeats them, often in a kind of like stupor or maybe under some kind of hypnosis. I mean, he's kind of under her spell. And Brackmont thinks that he's in love. He's kind of obsessed with her. He knows that the window is where people hang themselves and that he should stay away from it, and especially on Fridays, and especially on Fridays at 6 p.m. But his resistance wears thin. And so one Friday, about a month into this, the woman makes some elaborate moves with a telephone cord. And Brackmont knows that if he repeats them, he's going to hang himself from the window, which is what everyone else has done. It's happened to all these other people. But nonetheless, even with this knowledge, he's totally powerless against this woman's spell. And that's it. So when the police arrive, really just a few minutes later, because he won't answer the phone, uh, they find Brackmont dead, but they also find a spider crushed between his teeth. And they find his journal. Uh, I probably should have said at the top, hey, this story's largely in the first person. It's actually Brackmont's journal. Uh, they find his journal. And so they investigate the apartment across the street and discover that it's unoccupied. And it has been for months. It's been unrented for many months. So very creepy there, right? And of course, we understand that something is happening here with the spider. But before we get into any of that, Lars, I think the first real question here is simply, you know, why did you pick this story? You said you, you had this entire Evers collection, and so you could have picked any story out of that collection. What did you love specifically about this one? 
Well, the reason for picking it was mainly the uh, Lovecraft connection, but um, Eva's being a person who has been adapted into these expressionist silent films many times, reading this story, I thought, I understand why. I could see the adaptation. I, I, I think um, he, he conjures up uh, some very uh, interesting and very creepy images. Um, and, and, and that I found, uh, like, obviously that to me was um, very, very interesting. Yeah, the entire action of this story all happens without any dialogue. This is uh, this actually would be a very cool story to film during lockdown because you you don't need a lot of uh, you know sets. You just need kind of one. You could do it really in one room and need very few actors. And there's no dialogue. Brackman and this woman never speak to each other. They just mime and yes. yeah, like have this weird dance competition and. That so that could totally be a silent movie. I think this would be it's very cinematic, right? You can see that for sure. It'd be very cool as an adaptation into film. I absolutely think so. Yes, I also think that that this story to me um, reads like if 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 you would do it today, obviously you, you wouldn't have to do it as a as a silent film. I think back then the expressionists would have taken this story and made it into a one and a half hour film, and it would probably drag a bit. Um, I think this would make make mainly a great um, a great first act. You know, because because um, because when 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 the last sentences said uh, they investigated the 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 apartment uh, on the other side of the street and it was empty, I thought, well, and then, like, how where will the story go now? I think it feels a bit unfinished to me um, at that point. And just just imagine the the the, the possibilities. So uh, that that like his death is like the scene in Psycho when the when the protagonist suddenly dies and someone else takes over and we could then follow the policeman investigating this apartment and trying to solve this mystery and then maybe the third act could him I don't know somehow entering the spider's uh, lair like some some otherworldly um, kind of kind of place where 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 this magic godlike spider lives uh, a bit a, a bit like hellraiser i i see <laughs> i see a movie a possibly a franchise i love it yeah someplace with uh, with non-euclidean geometry and, uh, and 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 you're in yeah because this story has sort of an ending right there is a kind of finality to this story which is simply this detail that the spider has been crushed between brackmont's teeth you just get rid of that detail uh, yeah. and, and then you can continue on this story, which otherwise doesn't really have a lot of resolution in the sense that there's no answer to what's happening here. Like, what is this spider? You know, how is it that Brackmont and, and presumably these other people as well were seeing a woman in the room across the way, right? I mean, and that's part of what makes it weird is that none of that is explained, but there's a lot more story that could be told there. And maybe I, I wanted to actually ask you about this ending, about the, the business with the spider being crushed between Brackmont's teeth because although he, he falls under her spell and he, he dies, she kills him, he kills her as well in the act of doing that. And so there is something kind of, uh, you know, sacrificial and kind of heroic about this, but it's, it's totally downplayed, right? Evers doesn't make a big deal out of that. It's only in this one last line. And I thought that was interesting. Yes. Also the fact that everyone else dies within a few days and he doesn't. And I don't really, like, I, I picked up on that and I like that, but I didn't really see Eva's telling us why. Like, what, what made him different? What made him stronger? Apparently, right? He seemed to be more of a challenge for the spider than the other guys were. Why? Why, why is that so? 
the, the other guys didn't even uh, write anything down. He 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 mentions that specifically that that nobody um, left any notes, and he leaves this whole journal. Um, what 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 makes him stand out? I uh, I I saw that he did stand out, uh, stand out, but I didn't really see why. Yeah, because there's another character who who dies. It's the one who immediately precedes uh, Brackmont, who is also there trying to figure out what's going on. He's actually, I think, a member of the the Paris police, the, the gendarme. Yes. And so he's gone into this knowing his job is to find out. We're told that, uh, you know, before we actually get into Brackmont's journals, we're told that he has reported back to the you know detective who's in you know in charge of this investigation that he thinks he's figured it out and he'll report back later so presumably he's having this same type of experience with the spider woman across the street but even going in with the 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 knowledge and the intention of you know figuring out what's going on he does not survive any longer than anyone who preceded him whereas brackmont survives almost four times as long as everybody else but we're yeah we're not told that there's anything special or unique about him though i think you may have you may have hit on it lars which is that is it do you think it's the act of writing do you think it's because he's writing down his experiences that he's able to hold out longer Maybe that. Um, I think his responses to the to the policemen are very similar to what Evers tells us. Um, uh, his predecessor said um, he always says, "I might have an idea, but I don't want to say yet." But yeah, he he writes it down. So maybe it's something about that because he 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 uh, he's more consciously aware of what is happening, even though he doesn't understand. His descriptions of the woman uh, also are very scary and very evocative of very creepy images, and he. Also writes. Um, I think I might be in love with her, but but, but she scares me. I uh, I uh, I feel fear. Um, but maybe also because she makes him um, she makes him cut the telephone cord before he finally kills himself. I think all the other Fridays at six o'clock, the policeman calls him. So maybe that's what saved him. Yeah, that's true, actually, right? He does have this help with uh, with resisting on Fridays at 6 p.m. And this whole business, actually, with, you know, Fridays and Fridays at 6 p.m., like, why is that when she she kills? It, it, at first, it sort of seemed like it was a kind of length of time, right? That everybody was going through the same length of time, but that's clearly not the case for the, you know, protagonist of the story. So it's really about this time, Fridays at 6 p.m., you know, why that? But then also... And, a, and a, a, even a like sort of bigger picture thinking about time, it occurred to me that this story is taking place for three weeks during Lent and that Friday at 6 p.m., it's March 27th, that this might actually have been Good Friday. This might actually have been Easter weekend that he died and that this holding out for a long time that, that you know, somehow this is related to Easter in, in some way. It maybe kind of depends on what year it is, but I will say that in 1910, Easter was March 27th and Good Friday was March 25th. And actually, sorry, March 25th is, is actually when he dies here. I said the 27th, but that's, that's not right. It's uh, the 27th would have been Easter uh, in 1910, which maybe is actually when Evers wrote this story. 1915 is the publication date for the uh, short story collection that I've got anyway. Uh, but yeah, I wondered, you know, I, I can't make any sense of any kind of connection this might have to Easter or, you know, why Fridays at 6 p.m. Do you have any thoughts about what's happening there, like the symbolic uh, nature of this? No, I don't. But uh, I think uh, the, the, my, my lack of thoughts 
might be intentional uh, by the writer because in the beginning of the whole story, and this is something that I really love about it, because um, the, in the beginning of the story, the um, he, he's, I think, a medical student um, who, who moves into that room. Um, writes about how he got the gig of uh, living in the room. Like the, the the arrangement is that he can live there for free and get food uh, as long as he doesn't die. So he thinks he uh, he got a pretty sweet deal there. Um, and he writes about how, how he got the gig and uh, he immediately got me to like him a bit because he's so, he's arrogant and funny. And he uh, he says that he went to the dumb police uh, men and he uh, said, yeah, I have a plan. And that he made something up about Jesus dying on the sixth day at the sixth hour and that that's probably why people die at that hour and then he tells the policeman to um to, to to read revelation and there's something in there and then he says he comes back the next day and uh, he, he says so i'm I, um he tells the policeman to read revelation and uh, there's something in there that that relates to his plan then he tells uh, he then he tells the reader um Obviously, there isn't. I, I, I have never understood Revelation. I have no idea what I was talking. Uh, this is all a joke. This is very funny. And then he comes back the next day and the policeman has read Revelation. He has the New Testament on his de uh, de desk and uh, and says, I, I think I know what your plan is. Yeah, I think it's I think it's brilliant. You got the gig. So, so uh, he was placed with the possibilities of Christian numberology while making fun of it at the same time. So uh, there might be nothing there, but I think he's evoking the possibilities on purpose. Yeah, I guess that's really the question, right? Is there actually some kind of solution to the question? Like, is it, does it actually matter or is the whole thing a joke on Eva's part? And and I suppose it really actually could be both ways, but yeah, it would be a lot of fun to, I don't know anything about numerology, you know, in kind of any 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 religious system, though I know it was a, a huge part actually of uh, interest in in both uh, Christianity and Judaism at this time. This is this is a huge part of uh, Gustav Meyrink's The Golem, which I, I mentioned earlier, has gotten some new attention lately as well. Very interested in, in, in Jewish numerology that was all mind boggling to me when I uh, read that book recently also. Uh, but yeah, there's clearly something going on here, whether it's serious or not, or, you know, is it just a joke? I'm, I'm not really sure. But it did occur to me, actually, while you were saying that, Lars, that if we include the people who died before Brackmont, I think that that might actually, you know, we'd have to check the math, but I think that that might actually add up to the entire period of Lent, which then, you know, would at least support the idea that <laughs> that Evers at least is doing something very intentionally here with this this numerology, whether or not it's a joke. But it's a real cool touch. Is there an Easter spider? Is there is there right. some <laughs> mythology of, of, of an Easter spider? <laughs> well, there's uh, there's about to be in my family's uh, traditions. <laughs> That's uh, we <laughs> we have not introduced our son to the Easter bunny yet, and uh, I think we're not going to. They were going to go with Easter <laughs> spider in our household. He'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should also talk a little bit about this connection with Lovecraft, with the the haunter in the in the dark, which is a story I really love. Though I've probably not actually read myself in about six or seven years. The last time I did was actually at a out loud at a campfire, which you know that's how horror stories are meant to be read. So that's real exciting, real cool thing. But the haunter in the dark is you know it has some real similarities. Obviously, that it's it's uh, one person you know, investigating a, kind of an empty room in a building where where weird stuff has happened. He's keeping uh, a diary uh, about it and then uh, 
doesn't make it out and we're just reading the the you know the journal entry after horrible things have have happened uh, that's kind of the plot similarities there but did you see any kind of thematic uh similarities between the two stories I must admit, uh, I haven't read it in a while too. I've, I've listened to it um, in audiobook form, um, I, I think last year or the year before that. So uh, I don't have any details ready, but I thought when I was reading The Spider, I thought back on um, The Haunter in the Dark. Uh, and, and I think there's, yeah, the, the guy is uh, also fascinated with something that he can see from his window. Right, he can see the steeple of this church um, uh, on Federal Hill from his from his window, which is so funny to me. Like in the Spider, he's fascinated by a woman, and in Lovecraft, uh, the character is fascinated by architecture. <laughs> well, that tells us everything we ever needed to know about Lovecraft. I think. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> so uh, I I think that might be the main thing, right? Yeah, I could see Lovecraft actually reading this story and just finding it totally unbelievable, uh, totally unbelievable because <laughs> no one would ever become this uh, obsessed with sex yeah, <laughs> when, right. they, when they would die. But, you know, architecture, obviously, that's the real siren call that uh, that anyone could succumb to. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, he just went in and improved the story. <laughs> right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it would be fun to to do these kind of side by side. So maybe I'll see if Brandon and I can uh, can squeeze in uh, The Haunter in the Dark sometime this year and take a look, take a look at that while this is while this story is still fresh in my mind as as well i've got one more question here about the story before i want to take us uh, out of the story again a little bit which is just to circle back to something you already brought up and, and maybe maybe already answered this question for me lars but i was confused about the 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 narrator the the journal writer Richard brockmont i was confused about his motivation for moving into the room beyond just immediately getting a free place to stay and some food because he says something as well, I I guess about gaining some kind of notoriety out of it. Yeah. What, I guess he's expecting that if he cracks this case, he'll become famous and I don't know what, get a book deal or something. I think so. Um, And, and uh, here I think um, the story kind of contradicts itself because in the, uh, in in, in the part before the, the diary starts, um, Eva says that the whole thing about that room and the people dying in that room would have been a big story in the press. Would it not have been a, 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 a especially uh, busy uh, time with, with lots of political scandals? So uh, that the, the the hotel owner didn't even get anything out of it. But then, yeah, the the student moves moves in and he keeps talking about conquering the city and being a big uh, big deal for um, for surviving it. So it may or may not have been a story that people were talking about. Um, it depends on who you want to believe, the author or his character. And yeah, he promises himself to become famous by surviving the room. I yeah. Yeah, no, it was very interesting to me. And he has to compete. I think there are like, uh, you know, there there are dozens of other people who also want to do this. So presumably, this is just a feature of what the world was like 110 years ago or or so. I, I mean, maybe we have this now too. I mean, people get, uh, you know, internet famous, at least momentarily for kind of ridiculous and stupid things. Though, I think we're less likely to be able to turn that into profitability these days, you know, part just because the internet has created this culture of, of, of things being free or at least appearing to be free anyway. Whereas, yeah, I guess you could have, he, he might just be able to sell your story to a newspaper where, you know, you can either write it up yourself or agree to be interviewed for some money or something like that. I don't know. It was just a, um, 
uh, sort of logistical feature of this world that that was totally strange to me. I think there is some room for improvement here because uh, earlier we were talking about how uh, there's really nothing in the story that actually tells us why he's different than the others and why he survives for so long. And now there's, I don't know, some problems with his motivations because he really doesn't have anything to do with, with um, supernatural phenomena. He studies medicine. So um, I think it would make a lot more sense for in, in, in that time spiritism was a big deal so why uh, is that is he not like some kind of esoteric person um the the the, the numerology um being part of the whole thing too so 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 i don't know some someone who someone who is into that kind of stuff and uh, wants to be a famous medium or something uh, that would that would give him uh, a proper and less muddled motivation to move into that room, and it would uh, probably give him abilities to survive the whole deal, uh, going beyond the abilities of the hapless other guys who uh, died right away. Though I think that might actually be part of what Evers is doing here that, that perhaps is lost a little bit on on us being more than a century removed from this story is that I, I think he's maybe a little bit poking fun at exactly that type of story, that genre, because this is the period where, you know, Algernon Blackwood has John Silence and William Hope Hodgson has Karnacki, the ghost finder. And these people are really, you know, extraordinarily popular occult detectives. And there are there are many others uh, going on, you know, here at this time. And Evers maybe seems to have taken as part of his his cue for this story, uh, you know, asking sort of the question of, okay, but what if something exactly like this happened to someone who isn't interested in any of this, thinks numerology is stupid and silly and makes a joke out of it, uh, and also actually just is poor and needs a meal <laughs> and a place to stay and would actually like to get rich because all the other people doing these things, as Brandon and I point out every time we get them, are gentlemen of means, right, who are doing this as a hobby. But here's someone who actually needs to make ends meet, a poor student uh, who's like really doesn't know you know, where his next meal is going to come from and has a way to do that. There, so there seems to be kind of a, a sense here maybe in which Evers is actually uh, looking critically at this this genre of occult detective stories. Yes, you're absolutely right. And that's what makes, uh, to me, the character so um, likable uh, in the beginning, um, the, his, his, his ironic way of looking at things. So yeah, maybe there's no room for improvement, uh, but still... Well, you could actually make this, you know, still act one, like you were talking about. And it would actually be funny to have a story or, you know, whether it's print or film where this happens first. This is the first act of that story. Could happen almost exactly the same as this, except we want to get rid of the spider dying so that, you know, the spider is still there. The mystery still is there to be solved. And then you actually could just have Karnacki or John Silence, you know, if these guys are out of copyright, uh, come in and take over the case uh, might actually be funny. That's amazing. Yeah, that's what should happen. A paranormal investigator should should uh, take over. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I'm 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 gonna make that movie. Well, I I will be there. Uh, I will be there right away. So <laughs> <laughs> I hope you hope you let me know when that when that happens. That would be amazing. There's one other thing that I want to ask you about with this story, Lars, and, and this may be totally out of your area of expertise, but. Uh, 
for me in the, the my adolescence uh, and still now I really still really appreciate this but especially in my adolescence I was very very into the uh, the English uh, rock band The Cure uh, the goth goth rock band The Cure and they have a song called Lullaby that is uh, about a person being eaten by a spider and it's in the first person and I could not find anything that connected these two things. And it seems unlikely given, you know, we talked about Evers as sort of, you know, fading out of uh, cultural memory very quickly after his, his, his works have been banned in, in Germany in the 40s. But I, I thought there was perhaps a connection, but I don't, maybe you're not familiar with The Cure. I don't know the song, um, but I mainly know the look of the band. And right. um, <laughs> it always felt... Um, no, it doesn't just feel uh, inspired. It is obviously inspired by, um, and 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 I don't know if this is conscious, but um, they look a bit like they are straight out of Dr. Caligari, right? Oh, absolutely, yes, and I, I, I do believe that that is is totally conscious. Yeah, this this only occurred to me about I don't know twenty minutes before we got on the mic. I, I should have sent you the, the, the video to this uh, uh, so you could have, could have checked it out. But we'll leave this in because I think that uh, uh, other listeners, perhaps better versed in the history of goth rock, will be able to chime in on the the forum and uh, uh, let us know if there is any explicit connection. Though this story was sensational, right? This was one of his most popular stories, and so it's totally possible that uh, the idea idea of um, someone being eaten by a spider as a kind of horror story. It's been, you know, filtered through, I don't know, maybe Scooby-Doo did something with this, right? Like that it's been filtered through other bits of, of the, the pop culture that someone could have this idea or be familiar with this, uh, this type of story without actually having any idea that Evers ever even existed. Yeah, maybe. And um, like the, the, the short story co collection I was reading, I mean, it's a, it's a German publication, but it was published in the uh, 70s. And I'm looking at the music video right now. Okay. And he's <laughs> lying in bed, um, staring out of a window. And then there's, uh, there's a clock that, that is sig significant. They show the clock all the time. And he's uh, looking at his window and there's a spider in his window. So it's actually uh, eerily evocative of the story, right? Yeah, I think so exactly. But I just yeah, I can't believe that anyone had this. Though though maybe they they did. I mean, the the Cure's a band that got started in the seventies. I think this this album, this is Disintegration, which is oh nineteen eighty six or so. I'm I'm yeah, I'm not entirely sure. Someone will correct me. But yeah, it's possible that they, there was a bit of resurgence here. That I don't know. Perhaps you know they were on tour and uh, found found a copy of this book as well. Perhaps the copy you have in someone else's uh, little <laughs> little library, and they read it and then left it <laughs> for you to find. That yeah, I, I think that's it. That you, yeah. you just solved it. That's <laughs> well, that's what a, happened. That's also a weird fiction story that uh, that I would read. So you've got lots of ideas to go run with here, and uh, I hope you'll turn all of them into movies. Will do. I mean, it's it's uh, we're still on lockdown, so nothing else to do, right? Right. Yeah. No. Exactly. I mean, that's that's kind of what this bonus podcast series has grown out of as well. <laughs> well, I don't want to get in the way of you going and making movies for me to enjoy, Lars. So I think we can wrap this episode up. But I want to say thank you so much for guest hosting with me today. This has been really fun for me. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, I have had a lot of fun um, reading this, researching this, and uh, doing this with you. Thank, uh, thank you. Thank you. That's the German in me. English is a, <laughs> uh, is a second language for me. I apologize to everyone. Um, but uh, yeah, thanks so much. 
Yeah, well, it's been awesome to have you here. And and listeners, uh, if you would like to talk about this story with us, I uh, hope you'll drop by the forums at claytemplemedia.com or come by the Clay Temple Media subreddit, even if it's just to uh, you know talk with us about the cure. Or maybe you are Robert Smith. Uh, I don't know if Robert Smith listens to the, the, the show and wants to chime in about the origins of that song. I would love to love to hear about that. And also, I hope you'll be sure to check out Lars's films, Performaniacs and Leon Must Die are both available on Amazon Prime right now. And uh, Lars, you've talked about you've got this film that you're working on that's going to be out uh, later this year. So where else can people find you on the internet to to keep up with what you're doing and and find out when that's been released? I have a website, uh, www.larshenriks.de. I try to update my blog frequently, but there's mainly there's a menu point filme which means films. And uh, there's a list of all my available um, movies and there are links to where you can stream them. Um, most of them either uh, on Amazon Pl- Prime for free or on YouTube for free, actually. I have a, a Lovecraft-inspired Cthulhu trilogy on YouTube. Um, so look at, look at my website and you will, you will find that. And you also have been using the lockdown to do a bit of podcasting yourself. Yes. Oh, that's true. Thank you for reminding me of that. Um, people would have been mad if I hadn't mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, no, I have a, I have a podcast. It's, it's narcissistically called, uh, the Lars Henriks podcast international, um, uh, which is, uh, the channel where we, um, upload the English language, um, uh, content. Um, and, and, and there we have a series going on right now called Mysterium Pictorum. There's another weird fiction story, uh, how, <laughs> how that got into being. I, I once found, uh, in a very weird location, a USB stick containing lots and lots of weird films. Uh, it's, it's, it's a very strange collection of obscure movies. Um, it's art house stuff, mostly uh, classics too, but then there's trash films in there or just, <laughs> Just, I don't know, um, random stuff. Um, and we watch one of them each week and then we talk about them. Me, uh, Nissan, who's making all my films with me, and then a friend from Turkey, Yaren. Um, and I think that's fun to do. So uh, I hope it's fun to listen to also. Um, and yeah, there will be more stuff uh, coming up there too. So follow that podcast, right? And the, the most recent episode, at least as you and I are recording this, uh, I will say featured a, a very fun, very interesting digression on uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer that I, I really appreciated. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, we do that a lot. Uh, we compare stuff to other stuff and then we go into tangents. So, um, But we try to be informative too. We try to, to, to have some info on the films and the filmmakers and the background and all of that. Um, we, not always, we don't always succeed, but um, sometimes we have guests who, who are very knowledgeable. Well, I really enjoy the podcast, so I hope people will check that out as well as your your movies and uh, and and also check out your blog to stay up to date. But uh, I think we'll close this one out. So I'll say that uh, Brandon and I will be back on July 27th with the uh, uh, classic and also truly awesome Robert E. Howard story, The Black Stone. Until then, we greet you and say farewell. <laughs>